0: Thank you for coming. I'm Steve Hambrick, uh, and I am uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are excited that you are here. Um, we've been, for those of you who don't know and if you haven't been, or haven't been in a while or whatever, we've been in this series called The All-In, and this is what we have behind me on the, on the, on the wall here, this All-In, the All-In campaign. The picture and the idea is really simple, that if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to do the things he's called us to do, then we want to be All-In. Right, we're gonna have half of us in, part of us in, a little bit in, most of us in. We're gonna have all of us in, right? This whole part of ourselves. And and we talked last week. We asked this question and said. Uh, and the idea is about being in family, discipleship, and mission. These three parts that we feel like God's calling us to be all in. In and, and, and family, we do family well. We, in fact, I've got spit up on my sweater from this morning from Berkeley Chrysler, right? Who we did our dedication, right? And that's i will leave it there as a reminder. And no, I'm just kidding; it's kind of gross. But uh, but seriously, we have this. We had this idea of family. We we'll want to be part of family. Do family. Uh, do family well here at Vintage. Spiritual family, loving one another, encouraging one another. We also want to do discipleship well. Like Jesus has called us to make disciples. And we want to do that when we, be, we want to be good disciples. We want to make disciples, invest ourselves and our time into that. And the third part of that is then we want to, as Jesus said, as I have been sent by the Father, so I'm sending you. It's a real simple verse that basically paints the picture that we're all called to, to the same mission that Jesus was on. We've all been called to mission, living life on on mission. And the, idea of, and the idea of doing this, of being all in, like, I don't know about you, but that's not easy for me. Like, the other day I was walking into Publix. I told my small group this, right? I, and this is a true story. I walked into, I walk, walking into Publix and I'd have one of those days, right, that some church people have been mean to me. I'm just kidding, right? Something had happened. I don't know. I was just tired. I hadn't slept well. I had a headache all day. One of those days, right? And I walk into, I'm literally walking into Publix and I pray this, God, I do not want to live on mission as I walk into Publix tonight. I just want you to know that. I don't want to be Jesus to people. I don't want to be nice. And I really don't want to engage in conversation because I just want to go and just be myself and not talk to anybody. But not my will, but your will be done. Ugh. Right? It's like, seriously. I mean, Living life as a Christian and being all in is not necessarily easy, right? It's it's hard, it's difficult, and this idea of being all in is that in the context of our life, we said there are things that that present themselves in our life that literally try to keep keep us from our devotion to Jesus. And so last week we asked the question, do we really believe that Jesus is better than everything? Like, do we literally believe that Jesus is better than everything, that he's better than our relationships and he's better than the pain that we suffer, that he is better than the sorrow we experience, right? That he is better than, than our hobbies, that he is better than our addictions, that he is better than everything else else that we wrestle with and experience in life. Is Jesus better than our poverty? Is Jesus better than our lost job? Or do when those things present themselves, poke their head out, or present themselves in our lives, do those things literally attack our devotion to him? Is Jesus, and the reality of Jesus and following him, Better than everything else that I experience and go through in life? Or do I find myself, when those things present themselves, pulling back my devotion and looking to find pleasure or something else from another thing? Is Jesus better than anything Like I had to ask that. I mean, for those of you who know, my mom passed away when I was 23 years old. I had two weeks of college left and she died. And I literally had to sit there and say, is Jesus better than the sorrow of losing my mom? Or is it going to cause me to turn? Like you have to get into real life stuff. Listen, we come to church sometimes. We like this nice pie in the sky. Make me feel good about myself. All in. Yeah, I'm all in until this happens. Right, and so the all-in call from Jesus is something that literally comes. We come face to face with. I love the marathon until I'm about I don't know an eighth of a mile in, <laughs> right? And so this tension that we wrestle with in ourselves of of my devotion is Jesus better than anything is. Jesus, able to meet the needs, able to f- sustain me and to fulfill me in the context of all hardship and difficulty and addiction and things that come my way. So this call then to, li- and the idea is that to live on mission is hard. I mean, to make disciples and, and to be spit on and ultimately be brutalized and beaten in Scripture, is Jesus better than Everything. And we live, we wrestle in this tension. And the idea then, in the context of this conversation, is Jesus better than anything and everything? And the question has to be asked, and we'll ask it this morning are we living with Jesus as Lord? Are we living with Jesus as Lord? Because in the context of this conversation, mm, can't get that thing off, the context of our conversation about is Jesus better than everything because I'm following him, then in the context of that, am I following him? Do I literally, do I literally believe in the lordship of Jesus? I'm going to create a nice umbrella here. You know what umbrellas do, right? They, they keep things underneath them, right? They keep them protected, whatever it may be. And here we have Lord. Do we... Do we live in the context of Jesus as Lord? Is He better than everything? In the context of Him being better than everything, do I literally live with Jesus Christ as Lord over my life? We want to dive into this this morning because I believe we're going to be all in to and all in for family, which is hard. Amen. We're going to be all in for discipleship, that's hard. It takes time and energy. I'm going to be all in for mission. It requires my life. Do I, do I believe that Jesus has better than everything? And am I following him as Lord of my life? And do I even know what that means? So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 29 and go to verse 36 and kind of, and then touch on verse 37. It's a little further down. Peter and the disciples have experienced Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. He fell upon them with like tongues like fire, and they all begin to speak in tongues. And then, and there's a gift of tongues released. And then over here, outside, are all the listeners who have now received the gift of interpretation of tongues. Right? It's this beautiful, beautiful moment. People are like, they're amazed. My gosh, these. Galileans are speaking in my tribal language. This is weird. How are they doing this? And they're drunk, seemingly, and they're still speaking my language. This is crazy. And so then Peter stands up and he says, hey, don't think that we're drunk. Here we go, starting in verse 36. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke. This is David. David, seeing what was to come, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. He's prophetically speaking, right? Seeing things that have not happened yet as if they have, right? So that he would Because seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, Nor did his body see decay, speaking of of Jesus now. God raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore... Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, I love this picture because Peter, he is looking at a bunch of good Jews, right? In in the Jewish culture, David was seen as a Messiah figure. He was seen as like a picture of the Messiah. He was a good king, the first good king. Saul was a decent king, then he kind of fell off, right? Had his little selfish moments and died in selfishness, right? But then here comes David, and David's a good king who fears the Lord, who's a man after God's own heart. So when they begin to think about the coming Messiah, the the Savior, the king that they were looking for to set them free from Roman rule, David was the picture in their mind of who that was was they put David on their pedestal. And so Peter, in his wisdom, comes and he appeals to the one that they trust. Consider David. David came. was a great king, right? He's a prophet who spoke. He spoke of a descendant who would come. Jesus was a descendant of David. He would not be abandoned to the realm of death, nor did his body decay. Speaking of Jesus resurrected. And we are all witnesses to the resurrection. Most of you probably know in Jewish culture, to have to have a testimony of someone who can testify on your behalf is a really big deal. You go in and say, I can testify against this person. And they carried great weight here with the judge. And so they're coming saying, Listen, we have experienced it, and we testify to it from our own personal experience. This Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, and I love this verse. I want you to see this. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he, he said, "The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand." David, in his humanity, sees heaven, sees God sitting there. In verse. And this verse 33 is actually quoting from Psalm 110, chapter me, chapter 110, verse one. And he's basically saying this. I looked and I saw the father and the one by his side who was equal to him, who was the same as him. And I'm telling you, David was speaking of Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, Jesus, the expression on earth of God. And so all we're getting at here in the midst of this is is simple. Peter is coming and speaking to these Israelites and saying, The one whom you crucified is Lord, and the one whom David was speaking of that you've been waiting for. He's speaking To the lordship of Jesus, he says all of that to sum it up. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. For us in our all in campaign, discipleship, family mission, we have to end by focusing on the fact that in our lives, Jesus now is Lord. Because if Jesus is Lord, then our relationship with him will define every step we take in life because of his lordship, his rulership, and his leadership in our lives. But the great tension, I think, that most of us face is that, is that we've lost the danger, we've lost the weight of what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Lord. Every time, hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I, when people pray sometimes, I just catch myself listening to them pray. Do you ever do that? Like, you're not listening with your spiritual ears. Like, you're just listening with your physical ears because they say something or do something you think is interesting. So, for example, some of you do this. This is fine. Some of you, when you pray, you say, Papa. Right? Or you say, Daddy. Right? You're taking it from Abba, Father. It's beautiful. But sometimes people say that. I'm like, oh, they just said Daddy that's interesting right you just catch yourself listening to things that people say or or that person who has a real high reverence they go holy god Right? And, you, and every time they pray it's like this reverence. And it's great, it's beautiful. I respect that. I'm a, I'm aware of that. And then you have the person who just covers all their bases, oh holy Father, Lord Jesus, the, this, the, the Son of De- the Son of God, the Son of David, the Son of Mary and Joseph. Oh, we just worship you, the great morning star, and the worshipper of all worshippers and God of all gods, right? And you find it's great, right? Like, those people distract me just a little bit, right? Just the idea of going in and, like, and covering all their bases because they have no idea what kind of mood God's in in that day. So cover all the bases. And so when I pray, I find people saying the same thing. Like going, and they pray sometimes, they go, Lord, Lord Jesus. I pray all the time. When I pray, listen to me, I'll go, Lord Jesus, we thank you. That's just a kind of a go-to. It's like a scripture that we use, that I use. And, and, and sometimes when i listening to people, they say, well, I was praying and the Lord said... Have you ever heard that phrase before? I was praying, and the Lord said. And so we have this this common, comfortable description that we use to, to talk to Jesus and describe him. But the fact is this, in the context of the New Testament, the understanding of the word Lord and the use of it was kind of this. Use this phrase at the risk of your own life. If you're going to name Jesus as Lord in the New Testament and you're going to use that as a descriptor to name him in your prayer or in your conversation, then you're using it literally at the risk of your own life because they lived under Roman rule and in the context of of Roman rule. Rome was very, very lenient in the context of worship of other gods. They they were polytheists. They believed in worshiping many gods. So you can worship whatever god you wanted to worship as long as at the end of the day you said, But Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. So in the context of them coming and saying Jesus is Lord or Lord Jesus, they're literally coming as an affront to the, to the whole Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor Caesar, who was considered the god overall. And so in the moment here, then, of saying Jesus is Lord and coming here in Acts chapter 2 saying, listen, this one that you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. It's at the risk of his own life because... You know, and we know, that as Christians and as Jews, they are monotheists, worshipers of one God and one Lord. And so in their declaration then of saying, Lord Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, they're making a statement saying, Caesar's not God. Only Jesus is Lord, and we worship Him Alone, And so the use of this phrase, then, is, again, a use at the risk of your own life. The idea, then, of, 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 of calling Jesus Lord comes with unbelievably specific and life-altering ramifications. And so I just wonder, for us, that when you go, Lord Jesus... Is it just a descriptor for you? Or is it this life altering, life shaping, defining characteristic that defines every facet of your all in life experience? William Barclay. Uh, he, He says this in the context of of these verses, he says, if a man called or a woman called a person calls Jesus Lord, he was ranking him with the emperor and with God. He was giving him the supreme place in his life. He was pledging him implicit obedience and reverence. Worship—that's what we see in Acts chapter two, when Peter's speaking, he says, verse thirty-two: "God raised Jesus to life. He was dead, and only so." In the picture of this is simple: if God raised Jesus to life, then God is backing everything that Jesus has ever said or done. He's giving him this authority that that he's not given anyone else. He's saying, well, Jesus raised him from the dead. He hasn't raised any Caesar from the dead. So, so God's chosen him. He is the chosen one. It goes on in, in verse 33. It says that God exalted him to his right hand or exalted him to God's right hand. The right hand of God is a place of authority, right? Verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, what both Lord and Messiah. And then the response of the people in verse 37 paints the picture for us very clearly of how they understood and received what Peter said. They said in verse 37, they were cut To the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We've killed God. That's this picture. Understanding if they're understanding what Peter's saying, they're cut to the heart. The very core of their being recognizes that Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord. And we know thousands came to Christ. That day and repentance of their sin, turning from their sin and acknowledging that Jesus was both Lord and Messiah. So understanding this phrase of Lordship simply means this. If we look back up here at our umbrella. Look on the screen if you can't see it here. And the context then of Lord is here is the umbrella of Jesus. And the umbrella of Jesus as Lord, it means this, everything in life, everyone in life, everything that you face and every act of obedience you face and you're called to falls under the umbrella of the authority and the lordship of Jesus. Therefore, I want to say three things are revealed to us about Jesus in the context of his lordship. Number one is this. It revealed his authority. We've already named that. It revealed his authority. That's verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the place. That's why the disciples, where they really clamored, Who can we sit at your right hand? Can we sit at your right hand? That meant can we be right beside you and be equal with you? And the idea here of being exalted to the right hand of God is this place of, of authority, this place of rulership. The Word has in mind a supreme and absolute authority, one who has complete ownership and uncontested power. He has no equal in any area of life. This is a person who has 100% control at all times, in all things, in every situation of life. To name someone Lord means that you acknowledge this person as someone having authority in your life, and the one that you bow down to as being number one over you, and who can rule your life, who can lead your life, who can speak into your life, and your response is obedience, right? This is picture for us of the authority of Jesus. Our response is simple to Jesus when He speaks: obedience. Not my will as I walk into Publix and don't really feel like shining the light of Jesus today to the person at Publix. I want to instead just walk in under a bushel. That would be awkward, by the way, if you walk in under a bushel. I'm just saying, right? But walk up under a bushel, hiding yourself, hiding the light of Jesus and say, well, I just don't feel like it. Jesus, your Lord. But I don't feel like it, which is another way of saying, because I'm the Lord of my own life. If I'm not obedient to Jesus when he's calling me to be obedient. Then I'm saying, well, I'm the Lord of my life in this moment. I'm not going to listen to you because I just listen to my feelings and now my feelings are who I'm bowing down to. Obedience is the only option. Jesus has become our authority, the one that we worship. He is the umbrella that covers us every step that we take of every day of our life and our response is obedience. The second part it reveals about Jesus is his responsibility. His responsibility. Listen, first thirty says they placed one of his descendants on the throne. Listen, we've already said it. David David was a king that everyone loved and looked up to Partially because as king, he was 100% responsible for the protection of his people. That's why it says in Scripture, in the season that kings go off to war, because kings were always going off to war, what? To protect and to guard, yes, what they had in in their kingdom, but also the people who lived underneath them. They had a responsibility to care for and to protect and to bring life to their kingdom. David was was not a perfect man, but he was a great king. And everyone knew it. Everyone respected David because they felt like he protected and he cared for them. It's a picture of a parent, isn't it? A parent is responsible for the children. We we, we did a little um, dedicated uh, Berkeley Crystal at the first service. She I mean she was little. She spit up all over me right here right. It was so precious and gross and stuff. And so it was in this moment with Berkeley and and my thought was well what if like I just all of a sudden Eric and Natasha decided not to really be a parent. Like what well, they just kind of said ah oh, we don't feel like being a parent today. That would not be good for Berkeley. Could you imagine if you decided one day to wake up and for your little kids or your kids say, eh, I'm not going to be a parent anymore. That's not good for your kids. Why? Because... You are responsible for your children that are underneath you to guard and to guide and to lead and protect and to provide for them. And so the the language then of Lord here is this understanding of picking up responsibility. Listen, it's a responsibility birth out of the authoritative position a person holds. Jesus has authority. He is a perfect Lord who is, listen, perfectly responsible for us. He is responsible for us. He's responsible for his creation, and he's perfect at it. Jesus is Lord. He has authority. He has responsibility. The third part is this, and this is really important for those of us who have a uh, work-for-you-type God mentality. It reveals his compassion. It reveals his compassion. Verse 33 says, Peter's saying, and Jesus poured out what you now see and what you hear. What you now see and hear, listen, is the result of the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. And Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I will send you another in my place. Right. I will send my spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I will send you my spirit. And so what you see in this moment of Acts chapter two in the lordship of Jesus, he says, I will not leave you alone. I'm going to send you my spirit because I'm compassionate because you are completely incapable in your own strength to do anything of value. So I will send you my spirit, the same spirit that empowered me while on earth, because I do not want you to be alone. And what we see here is Jesus poured out what you now see in here. Do you see the loving lordship of a compassionate and caring God he says, I will not leave you alone. So often we think of lordship, we think of mean God, don't we? We think of like really bad leaders throughout history who have abused in their authority and their authoritative regime have abused people. But Jesus is a loving Lord who is compassionate. In fact, I would say Jesus has his responsibility is is dual. Yes, he's responsible because he's responsible, but he's also responsible because of his love and his compassion. Like I express a level of responsibility for Sarah sitting in the front row, completely disengaged in my message. Because I love her and have undeniable compassion for her. And and, and in moments when I don't feel like being a great parent, my love, I'm going, oh, but I love her. Like that part of your heart that aches to the very core of its being. Like I couldn't not do that because I love her so fully and completely. So responsibility just happens. Like at 3 a.m. in the morning and one of them is like, daddy. And I'm like, I could be asleep right now. Right? And I'm like, but my responsibility, because I love them, drives me up the stairs. What do you need? Just want some water. Awesome. You have a sink with a faucet, right? Our responsibility leads us. Jesus, listen, the lordship of Jesus reveals his compassion. Why do you think presidents hold babies? Because they want you to think that they are compassionate, loving, and caring so that you will vote for them. Don't ever believe them. Just kidding. Just kidding. But seriously, this piece that we want lords who are compassionate, who are loving. I mean, read the history of the Roman emperors. Not very compassionate most of the time. But Jesus, he, is a, he has authority all the time. He has responsibility that oozes from him, and he is compassionate, caring, and loving. Our response, our response then, is pretty simple. If we, if he is Lord, and we fall under here somewhere, right? Like we're right here. Yeah, I stick figures in my best here, right? Stick figures. We've got our hands in the air to worship Jesus some, right? In the context, then, of falling under the umbrella in the lordship of Jesus, our response is simple. We submit. We submit to his leadership. We submit to his authority. We, we submit to the understanding that he is responsible for us. He, he is compassionate and loving over us in our lives. We belong to him, spirit, soul, and body. He is our master then, right? A loving master who's perfect in all of his dealings with us. But he is a perfect master, and we are his servants. Therefore, when we, listen, when we celebrate our independence... Like when we celebrate our freedom in Christ, it says, it says, for those Christ has set free, they are free indeed. What we are talking about is a freedom to serve and obey a ruling, responsible and compassionate Lord. Freedom is not the freedom to do what we want to do when we want to do it. This independence that we have celebrated in America, that's good. But the idea of Jesus is that we don't have that unilateral decision to say, well, I'm going to rule my own life and do what I want to do, even though I say, Lord Jesus, when I pray, I submit Romans chapter 14, verse seven and eight talking about no believer lives for himself, says for none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to his lordship. We belong under his umbrella. We belong here, worshiping him in our freedom, saying in my freedom, I support, completely submit to you and serve you in every area of my life 2 Corinthians 5:14-15 for Christ I love this for Christ's love compels us right Christ's love. I'm so undone by his love and his compassion and his goodness and his favor and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. I'm so motivated. I'm compelled by him because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's this picture saying. Do you see what he's done? Do you see that he's died and he's died for all? Do you see this? In light of that powerful, compelling, compassionate love from him, I submit myself in the freedom of his kindness and the freedom of his love and the freedom that I find that he's responsible for my life and that he has authority over anything that comes against me. Yes, God, I believe that you are better than everything. When hell comes and it will. I will not Turn away. I will bow before you in your lordship and again submit myself to your kindness, your compassion, to your authority. Understand that you feel responsible for me every day. You feel responsible. Jesus has feelings, right? He feels responsible for the church, the body of Christ. It's something that's inside of him. Jesus is Lord, and now Christian living, this idea of being all in the area of family, discipleship, mission, worship, etc., is now a life lived for Jesus, our Lord, to serve him, honor him, please him, and gladly in worship obey him. William MacDonald once said, one of the reasons for which Christ died and rose and lived again is that he might be our Lord and that we might be his willing subjects, gladly rendering to him the devotion of our hearts. Be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Our lives are to be one constant, ongoing act of obedience, not birthed out of duty, but obedience, birthed out of a compelling, compassionate love from a loving God who died, who was resurrected, and now who empowered me with his Spirit. This is this life of lordship under his umbrella. So our mission, our mission is simple. To do whatever the Lord tells us to do. Birth out of knowing he is, he has authority over all things. He is responsible for all that's going on. And he is compassionate and he is good. And So I live my life on mission, not out of duty and fear that I'm going to make him mad and displeased, but live my life in humble obedience, because I'm standing listen, I'm standing with my affections awakened to the goodness and the power and the authority of a holy, other than separate God who is drawn near to me. And I cannot help but to walk into publics and tell my feelings, forget you. I do as the Lord commands because he loves me. He has authority and he is responsible for all that's going on around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We praise you, Father, even the context of worship. God, there is healing to be had as we come into your presence. Because, God, wherever you go, you come with the fullness of your power and your goodness and your kindness, your authority. God, we praise you this morning that you are just. That you will not stand for brokenness to reign. You will not stand for us to remain in our brokenness. And I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would awaken us. You would awaken us to your Lordship. Father, we ask this morning that you would awaken us to the areas of our life that we have not surrendered and bowed down to in our lives. So, Jesus, come and have your way. This morning we want to